Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Film Etc., the only movie review podcast you need in life. My name is Mike Webb. I'll be your host. If you guys are new to the show, I basically review the new releases of the week and grade them on a scale of from 0 to 10 based upon my personal opinion. And usually, I recommend it out to people, and they get a nice response. But however, that is not the case with the movie that I reviewed last week, which is In the Heights. Nobody is going to see this movie. It's not doing well at the box office. I implore all of you to go and see In the Heights on the big screen. It is streaming on HBO Max, but I don't think it has the same experience as watching it in a movie theater. Do yourself a favor. Take however many people with you, go buy tickets to In the Heights, and have a great time. You'll get your money's worth, you'll have fun, I highly recommend it. But that's not the case for this week. If you do want to check out my review of In the Heights, just go over to last week's episode and find it there. But for this week, we're reviewing the films Luca, the latest film from Pixar, as well as Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is a sequel to The Hitman's Bodyguard, And then we have the documentary, The Sparks Brothers, which is the documentary directorial effort from one of my favorite filmmakers working today, Edgar Wright. So without further ado, let's get this show started. Just a bit of a heads up, guys. I am living with autism. I have high functioning autism is what I should say. So you may hear my wording and... um, Just the words in general, I just jumble up here from there. I'm not great with conversation overall. But anyway, guys, I hope you enjoy. Luca is the latest film from Pixar Animation Studios. It is the feature film directorial debut of Enrico Casarosa, who is a longtime storyboard artist in the animation department. He made a short film for Pixar uh, a few years back called La Luna, which is like a beautiful little Italian fairy tale that... uh, involves a moon and some stars, and it's delightful. His film, Luca, is set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera. This original animated feature film is a coming-of-age story about one boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. Luca, voiced by Jacob Tremblay, shares these adventures with his newfound best friend Alberto, voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer. But all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He and Alberto are actually sea monsters from another world just below the water's surface. The film's voice cast also includes Emma Berman as Julia, a girl they meet in the seaside town, Maya Rudolph and Jim Gaffigan as the voices of Luca's parents, Savario Raimondo, Marco Baricelli, Sandy Martin, and in a small voice cameo, Sasha Baron Cohen. This film definitely fits in the latter half of Pixar's filmography. Like there are some Pixar movies that are just like great and you find them profound and moving and something that's just uplifting and just like soul stirring in general. And it makes you like question about your life and in the world and stuff. This, however, is just a nice little simple movie about a friendship that goes on during this summer in an Italian seaside town. The animation is wonderful. It's being compared to the likes of like Ardman Animation. For those of you who do not know what Ardman Animation is, they are the stop motion claymation studio company behind the Wallace and Gromit shorts and Shaun the Sheep and Chicken Run. 
that animation studio is very hit or miss for me, in my personal opinion. I mentioned it's very simple at its storytelling, and I get why a lot of critics are not being as enthusiastic like myself. I still think it's a good movie. It's just not upper echelon of Pixar movies. I, in fact, I do want to confess I wasn't feeling very enthusiastic when I talked about my review of Wish Dragon last week. That movie, I just wanted to get it out of my system. That whole movie just felt like a blur. Like it, I didn't feel anything memorable about that. And I even mentioned uh, last week that for animated movies, as I was getting older, they like tend to skew less towards me in general as I grow older. This made me feel like I want to be a kid again. It it just felt it just has this like joyous feeling that I miss when I was a kid where I get to go on adventures and I go down to like a sand pit, probably collect rocks or uh, something, even look at bugs. Like I even like uh, was fond of like potato bugs growing up when I was a little kid. Again, this movie made me felt a sense of joy throughout. And I mentioned it's simple in its storytelling, like, you get where like all the formula basics are going to go with it. In fact, the movie first plays out like an actual fish out of water comedy. And then part of the main story kicks in where they have to do this like little triathlon where they have to swim, go cycling and eat a bowl of pasta. Yeah, I'm not joking. I mentioned it's simple in storytelling, like all the beats are there, but it works extremely well. It is fun, it is hilarious, it is incredibly delightful. The voice cast is amazing. I mentioned Jacob Tremblay and Jack Dylan Grazer. They have a nice little friendship chemistry in there. It it feels like a travelogue to the Italian Riviera. Here's some of my main issues with this movie. Again, you do have the simplistic storytelling nature of it all. They, there's a villain character in the film. The main, the main reason why they want to go to uh, this town, uh, both Luca and Alberto, is that they want to like experience the world and buy a Vespa. And there's a character in the film who owns a Vespa that plays out kind of like a villain. Throughout the movie, he he's just incredibly dumb. I just think he's selfish. He's just self-absorbent in oneself there's just this like overconfidence around that character and i didn't like him at all there's also not a lot of explanation of how like the backstory of why they're sea creatures but then they turn into humans there's not a lot of backstory there in general overall i still think it is a fun movie to watch oh and i did fail to mention about uh the main story a lot of pixar's movies they tend towards characters that feel more adult-like in general. I mean, with the exception of this and possibly Onward, there's not a lot of Pixar movies that are centered around kids. And to have a movie like Luca somewhat break that usual Pixar mold a little bit, it, it, it feels wonderful. Now, a lot of people are comparing this to Little Mermaid, which I can see why, but it there's like no musical songs or anything like that it 
I mean, you do get the fantasy element, but it's not like too much of a fantasy overall. It's it's kind of I wouldn't call it like a small minimalist approach, but it's just a it's like not too epic of a scale. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Luca. Again, this is a wonderful movie. I'm not saying this is a terrible Pixar movie. It's just not upper tier echelon. This is more like the bottom half, like your good dinosaur, like uh, your, I mean, I would probably put it on the same level as Onward because Onward, I didn't like the first 15 minutes of Onward, but when the actual story kicks in, I was invested. This is more like a, just a simple story with with really good humor and it is it is such a joy to watch there are better pixar movies uh that i would consider better than this movie i would probably own the blu-ray i'd probably re-watch it if i were to like show this to my kids and just get this like sense of this actually exists but anyway, guys, it is now streaming on Disney Plus at no additional charge. You don't have to pay $30 for it. It is just on the streaming service when you're there. Anyway, guys, those are my thoughts. And now let's get on to Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. The Sparks Brothers is the documentary directorial debut of director Edgar Wright, who is one of my favorite filmmakers working today. If you guys don't know who Edgar Wright is, he is the director behind the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy, which consists of Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, all of which are starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. He also directed Scott Pilgrim vs. The World and Baby Driver, which is probably my favorite of his out of all of them. He has a new movie coming out in the fall called Last Night in Soho, starring Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy. But he also made a documentary that premiered at Sundance earlier this year. And this is about a band I'm pretty sure not a lot of people know about. It is one of the longest-running and cult-following bands to this very day. It is a band called Sparks, and their mailing consists of brothers Ron and Russell Mail, and it basically showcases them uh, through their musical journey in the past 50 years. They start off with this like big selling single out in the UK. They appear on Top of the Pops UK music show, where they're even like have these like nice animations where uh, jo- where uh, John Lennon uh, calls up Ringo Starr and and says and drop and says to him in like a dramatized fashion, "You will not believe what I just saw. I just saw a man with a little Hitler mustache staring fondly at the camera." He's of course referring to Ron Mail, who's like the the keyboardist for the band Sparks. Russell is like the lead singer to to the band in general, and and you also get interviews through um, different walks of life in terms of musical icons like Weird Al Yankovic and Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Beck, and then members of Duran Duran and New Order. There are even interviews from people who worked with Sparks in the past, like former guitarists, former drummers. Even one of the members of the Go-Go's collaborated with the band Sparks in the 80s. Next month, and it'll star... Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard, and it'll come out on Amazon this August. And there's even a point where 
they're trying to tell the audience that they also have a love for movies. Like they've tried to get passion projects made. Like they wanted to work with directors like Jacques Tati and Tim Burton. And like they had like all these like different projects, but they've never came into fruition. There's also points in the film where they worked with musical icons like legendary music producer Giorgio Moroder. That's like devoted to how Moroder wanted to make uh, the Sparks album be like this like amazing dance poppy album. To make this like dance pop fest. I mean, there's nothing much I can say else about this documentary, but there's also like one point later on in the film where they do this like little leg where for for like uh what for like one night they will perform uh like an entire album and they will perform the next following album the next night and so on and so on like that is like a grueling and daunting tax like they even said they had to prepare uh all of the songs to perform live from all these like different shows for like months and months. And that just, that, that would just feel, if I were someone like that, it would just, it would just feel like you're in hell and you're just like working yourself to death. But Edgar Wright does a phenomenal job with this documentary. This is his first documentary that he's put out. But the reason uh, why I haven't put this higher on my list, it's, it's really long. Uh, it's like two and a half hours long, but I did see on Twitter that someone commented on just like, uh, I don't know if it's worth that amount of time. And then Edgar Wright responded back and was like, trust me, this movie goes by quick. And it does. It goes by quick. It It's like a sprint to get through. It basically showcases to up to where they are now. Like they are still making music to this very day. So much so that they even made a movie musical that will premiere at Cannes. The guy immediately responded back and say, well, you sold me. I mean, I'll rewatch it again sometime at some point. But the reason why my grade is as it is, is how I first reviewed it when I watched it virtually at Sundance. But anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on the Sparks Brothers. And now let's wrap this up with our review roundup hitman's wife's bodyguard is the sequel to the 2017 action comedy the hitman's bodyguard it is once again directed by patrick hughes who not only helmed hitman's bodyguard but also directed the expendables 3. in this film the world's most lethal odd couple bodyguard michael bryce played by ryan reynolds and hitman darius kincaid played by samuel l jackson are back on another life-threatening mission Still unlicensed and under scrutiny, Bryce is forced into action by Darius's even more volatile wife, the infamous international con artist Sonia Kincaid, played by Salma Hayek. As Bryce is driven over the edge by his two most dangerous protectees, the trio get in over their heads in a global plot and soon find that they are all that stand between Europe and a vengeful and powerful madman, played by Antonio Banderas. The film also stars Frank Grillo, Richard E. Grant, and in a surprising supporting role, Morgan Freeman. But I'm not going to spoil on who he plays. Oh boy. I rem- I took my dad to this movie and 
we did not care for this movie. This movie is a disaster. I mean, this is one of those movies where the first film made a bunch of money. It was the number one movie for however many weeks and then makes a pointless cash grab sequel. But I'm not saying that the actors may have had a lot of fun in going to it. I barely remember anything about the first one. I remember seeing it, but I couldn't remember what I, what it is that I liked about it. And so in preparation for this, I rewatched it. And all of a sudden, all of the things that I said earlier about the first film, just like kind of died down. It's a forgettable movie, the first film. And you immediately forget that the big baddie in the very first one was Gary Oldman and that you're just here for the banter that both Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson play, who's trying to foul mouth one another off. And basically the movie does that again. All the jokes are used, but to a lesser extent. And this movie is stupid and not in a good way. The overall story in general is just being held back by all this banter that all three of these actors try to just knock off one another, badmouth each other out, all the sex jokes and all the ridiculousness. Like, it's terrible. Like, even Sama Hayek just, like, comes in. In fact, Sama Hayek, I think, was probably the best part of the first movie. She was only in, like, a couple scenes and just, like, laughed my butt off. But I don't know if I need like a whole movie around these three people. This is a ridiculous movie from start to finish. There, there are like little like continuity errors that I found. So the movie takes place in Europe. And there's in the first movie, uh, Gary Oldman is like on trial. And then you see like a bunch of protest signs that are like all written in English. This is a country that speaks Dutch as his like primary language. Like that's just like a big continuity error. This is just like how Hollywood just like wants to portray the movies that takes place in Europe and just like Americanize it. I also remembered in the first film where it's like trying to like, oh, you can like laugh your butt off because of the banter and, and stuff. And I did laugh from the first movie. The second movie, I only laughed like three times. And they were all in the last 20 minutes of the movie. And it sucks. It's also noted that this movie is 20 minutes shorter than the original first film. It's also noted that this movie is 20 minutes shorter than the first film. Antonio Banderas is playing the typical corrupt villain but he but he is somehow greek and we don't know why he's greek other than the fact that he's like a i don't know like a a politician or some kind of billionaire also i didn't know that richard e grant was briefly in the first film and he's also briefly again but just for like five seconds in fact if they do make a third film i want richard e grant to be like the fourth lead just to have this like story revolve around him and what his character does in general. But oh my, this was a disaster. I, I, I regret every decision of taking my father. In fact, this was not even my decision. My father decided if he would like to go with me. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's father's day weekend. I mean, what other better movie out there to see than a, 
uh, an action film, an action comedy. But yeah, I, I'd skip this movie completely. Anyway, guys, those are my thoughts on Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife. Even the title is kind of confusing because even if you would call like, I don't know, Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife, then you would focus on like the wife of the bodyguard and not the Hitman, which makes no sense either. Anyway, guys, don't bother with this one. Those are my thoughts. And now let's get to my thoughts on the Sparks Brothers. So this is how the review roundup works. Basically, I review these movies on a scale from 0 to 10. If I give a movie somewhere between an 8.1 to a 10, I would consider it either really, really good to like one of the best movies ever. If I give somewhere between a 7 to an 8, I would still say it's very solid to like really good, but not almost really, really good. Somewhere between a 6 to a 6.9, I would just be like, it's fine to just like eh, mediocre, just like it has mostly good things, but there's some things that I don't like in particular. Five to a 5.9, it's just like mixed bag, middle, average, split down in the road and all that stuff. 4.9 or below, I would just not bother from that moment. And the Sparks Brothers, I would give it an 8.2 out of 10. This is probably the best movie of the week. Really, really solid uh, documentary effort for Mega Wright. In fact, I failed to mention this. Uh, depending on your taste of music, you could come out, appreciate Sparks for who they are in general. I don't know if you would like go and rush out and listen to their music. I, I, I think I'll probably listen to some Sparks music maybe sometime in the future, but who knows. 8.2 out of 10 for the Sparks Brothers. Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, even as I was editing the audio for my podcast earlier, I even still butchered the title at the very, very end, even before I was joking about the title. So Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, and there's no the, there's no the in this title. This is a three out of 10. It's, it's stupid, ridiculous. It's not funny. Actually, I... I just mentioned in my review, I only laughed like three times. They were all in the last 20 minutes. I was in agony throughout the film, but not in too much of an agony. It, for a movie to get like a zero, you would have to be like revolting or insulting or something like that and would just like piss me off. I didn't feel pissed off when watching Hitman's Bodyguard. I just felt bored and it, it was just like a movie that I was taking my dad to see. He only saw the first one on like TNT or something like that. So he is not a fan of the big swears in general. He just thinks it's too languagey and all that stuff. But yeah, don't bother with Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. That is a 3 out of 10. Luca, I would probably give it like a 7.5 out of 10. Again, this is part of the lower tier Pixar movies. But... It's not as like a mixed bag as something like Brave or uh, Good Dinosaur. It's not on like the bottom level of that. Not like at their weakest point or anything like that. It's still a very fun, nice little family movie that you can all watch on Disney Plus and enjoy. Anyway, guys, that's it for the review roundup. And 
And that concludes this week's episode of Film Etc. Thank you all so much for listening. I failed to mention this at the top of the show, but I don't want to brag about it for too long. And I didn't know about this until last week, but there is a post credit scene to In the Heights. And when I watched it again and watched that scene play out, I just felt like it made the movie better, in my opinion. Even though it's not like an important scene, I would say, but it's still a fun scene to watch. So when you guys go see In the Heights, and I implore you to see this on the big screen, please stay through the credits. You will not be disappointed. Anyway, guys, make sure you subscribe and follow the show on the many places that we stream, including Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, you name it. Leave a five-star review that'll help us get to the top of the charts and tell your friends about it. Spread the word of mouth. I would love to see where this show goes down the road. Next week, I will be back with a review of F9, Fast and Furious 9, Fast 9. I don't know. The marketing's weird. As well as a new Liam Neeson action film called The Ice Road, starring him and Lawrence Fishburne. It'll only be available on Netflix. Anyway, guys, you can follow the show on Instagram at filmetccast. And you can follow me. I'm at RealMikeWeb on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Thanks again for listening, guys. Stay safe. Wash your hands. And until next time, I will see you all at the cinema.